Hey, Verbal Intercourse listeners. Do you have a business, music, or product that you need advertised? Advertise with Verbal Intercourse Podcast. Send all inquiries and details to verbalintercoursejxn at gmail.com. That's verbalintercoursejxn at gmail.com. Rates start as low as $25 per episode. Advertise now and get the first month free. That's verbalintercoursejxn at gmail.com for more details. Be sure to follow us on all streaming platforms. Now, let's start the show. Verbal intercourse. Verbal intercourse. Verbal intercourse. This is verbal intercourse. Yo, yo, Sam. I'm sorry. This is gonna be video. No, 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 no. Nah, nah. It's just gonna be on the uh, the visual part. Well, not the uh, visual part. The the voice and shit. You want the visual part? (laughs) No, I was like. No, we don't. Hey, every girl that ever get on the podcast say the same shit. They just be like, "Hold on." We we gonna use the audio. Yeah, we gonna use the audio. Hey, you hear me good, Joy? Yeah, you good, man. Okay. Hey, you hear me? Yeah, both both y'all good, Okay. Okay. Shit. All right. You ready? You needed something to drink or some water or something? I'm good. You good? All right, cool. All right, yep. Whenever you're ready, Nick. What up, world? Welcome back to the verbal. Verbal. Hold on, let me start over. Verbal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what up, world? Welcome back to the Verbal Intercourse Podcast today. Got your host Nick Walker here with you today. Shout out to everybody that's been listening. Thank you for the support. Shout out to everybody that's been sharing the podcast, you know, with your homies or on your on your Instagram and Facebook timeline, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever social media is the one that you, you preference to use. Thank you for sharing the Verbal Intercourse podcast and also check out the Verbal Intercourse soliloquies. All right, today we got a special guest today. All the way from what Pittsburgh, right? Yes. P- all, all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That shit crazy. But uh, <laughs> shout out it's to. Crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy for you. Yeah. When when'd you get there? Hold on, hold on. Let me introduce your name before we even start asking you questions. So shout out to uh, Shalanda Spencer, uh, JSU alum. Where you where you you graduated from JSU? 2012 and 2017. Two 2012. Times. Two times. Two times. Okay. Two degrees. Okay. Hey, I, I see you. Hey, shout, shout out to you and congratulations on that. Uh, I graduated in 2011. So, oh. yeah, I, I was 2011. So, um, let's get right into it. Um, today, we got a hot topic. You know, we kind of we kind of going to be... Uh, pretty much in a political realm today. Um, Shalanda, she's kind of like an expert uh, of <laughs> she cringe. Well, I, I say this, 
you know more than a lot of people our age when it comes to when it comes to the topic. And also, you know, it, we we want everybody to vote next Tuesday. Um, it's the big day, you know. Uh, we want our voices to be heard, especially millennials, especially black millennials. So um, we're going to get right into it. Um, first off, tell me um, how you ended up in uh, Pittsburgh, all places. Like, I know you ain't a Steelers fan. How you end up there? <laughs> hold on, I just became one, so oh, don't do me. <laughs> hold on, so if you so if you move to Chicago, you're gonna become a Bears fan. Exactly. Hey. So you have to where you live. Hey, so you okay. Hey. Um. So to make a long story short, I left Mississippi um back in like right before right when COVID kind of hit because I was ready to experience a new journey. I feel like um for me I had done a whole lot of Mississippi. You know I've worked for some of the top nonprofit organizations. I've done um a lot of work on the ground, worked on political campaigns and everything like that. And granted, I enjoyed all those things as well, but. I do know for me, like, I wanted more, and I began searching for more, and I know, like, kind of where I want to go in my career, and so I felt like, for me, I just needed to go somewhere with more opportunity, so I did really, like, move to D.C., too, like, in May, right before my birthday, so before I got to Pittsburgh, I was in D.C., and I was just living, you know, because I I knew, I was, I had knew the area for so long, so I was living in D.C., and so then... I started applying for a lot of jobs, so I kind of took a leap of faith. Well, I ain't going to say I kind of took a leap of faith. I just took a leap of faith, and I started applying for jobs. And this job here that I have, which is with trying together an organization that focuses on early childhood education, and um, so I do a lot of policy work, and I became the director of public policy and government affairs. And so I moved here in early October, um, I work from home a lot, but, you know, I still have to do a lot of work on the ground. So I'm excited to be in Pittsburgh. It's very new, very fresh. Um, you know, people talk about millennials a lot that we we'll just go and do stuff. Like, yeah, we'll I'm quit a go. job, no question. Yeah, I will too. Yeah, we I yeah, we'll <laughs> I am one of those millennials. Yeah. So, and and I mean I this journey has taught me not everyone is gonna understand it. Because, you know, I had to learn it's not for everybody to understand. I know what I had prayed to God for. I know what I had talked to him about. And I knew what it was that I wanted. And I just went after it until I got it, no matter where I was going to land. Wow, that's dope. Um, you know, I, I definitely feel you. Um, even with myself, I done changed jobs several times off the strength that, you know, uh, going into a certain job might bring me anxiety or I don't like the environment. I don't like the, the types of patients that I'm getting in this certain setting. But I think yours is more so um, not just career. It's more so spiritual. Like, I feel like your journey is kind of spiritual because it seems like all of the jobs that all of the jobs that you probably have come across, you either educating or you're also or you're just helping people. So talk to me a little bit about um where did that come from and how you're and how and how it came to to bring you like interest in politics and all of that type of stuff you know i just answered this question to someone and i didn't think about this until um they asked me i feel like my upbringing shaped my career in politics and me 
choosing this career path. And I really also say this too, like it chose me. I didn't really choose it because I do remember as a little girl, I will never forget this. I was outside. I don't know what I was saying, but I do remember the words. Like I never go into politics. And I was like in elementary school because I used to hear older people talk about politics so much. And here I am at 30 years old in politics. And I never, I never saw this in my life. I never saw this vision. Um, and so I started working for the city of Jackson when I was in grad school and when I was getting my master's in public policy. And one of my, um, my former boss and my mentor and good friend, Councilman Dakeetha Stamps, who's not representative now in Jackson, Dakeetha Stamps, he taught me a whole lot about community. He taught me about how, you know, when you start this work, you know, you, you, People never forget how they make. People will never forget how you make them feel and what you say to them. And you always want to make sure your word is your bond. And so, being uh, working for the city, you know, I dealt with a lot of people in the community, and I started getting attached to those people based off like I was always helping them with whatever their needs were. And I started seeing how helpful I was. And so, I feel like because of how I was brought up for myself as a young black girl, single parent home dealing with some of these same disparities and issues in in black families that I see now when I'm older. It just kept me in the line of work. And so like I tell people my my um all the time like my purpose is personal because this is really personal for me. Like my career is personal. So Wow, that's great. That's great. And and it's and and I like the words you use personal because I feel like, you know, us as humans, I feel like we are in a in a most driven attitude when we take things personally. Like that's why reverse psychology works so well. I mean, when people take stuff personally, you know what I'm saying, for the most part, they if they have any type of heart and any real heart, then they, they then they gonna take it personal and try to do something about the things and and it's great to have, you know, um an educated black woman once again, you know, in the forefront trying to make things better for, you know, not just, you know, where you from, but, you know, trying to make an impact on mankind, you know. So so let's switch gears a little bit. How you how do you feel about next Tuesday? Have you voted already? I did. I actually voted today. Um I'm excited. Hold on, you could about have. next Tuesday. And I and I say excitement because I can't allow fear to get in the way of what's going on around me you know I know there's a lot of people who are timid there's a lot of people who are stressed out and I'm not gonna lie I was feeling that way for a very long time I was I'm scared I was scared of like okay what would the outcome be but what I do know regardless who's in office the work still has to be done and I know the presidential people look at that presidential seat as like that seat right Mm -hmm. but it's so much bigger than just a presidential seat. You have the people on the ground, your local, because I'm a, I'm a local government type girl. Like, regardless of the fact I do <clears throat> federal politics, but I come from a local community organizing background, and so that's what I focus on a lot, and because I know that's where a lot of change happens for my people, you know? And so... I'm excited about next Tuesday. I'm really excited about the people who are showing up to the polls because I'm a voting right advocate. I've been a voting right advocate for a long time. And so just seeing young black people, millennials, generation after, I think it's Gen Z, I think, next Yeah, uh-huh. Gen yeah. Z, 
just seeing how we're just we are turning out at the polls where so many people try to discredit us and say we're not paying attention to politics when we are the ones like we we are politics you know we are the ones who are realizing that we rather have a person who understands the policy and we don't take it and we're not the ones who looking at a party you know that's who we are that's what our generation is about yeah so far um um, my research has said 61 million people have voted early which is you know that's a staggering number that's like i think it's like 15 more million 15 million more people have voted early this year than in 2016 which you know you can kind of attribute a lot of that to covid but also i think you can attribute it to a lot of people really just want to have their voices heard this time you know if, if they didn't vote last time and then you had a lot of people that uh changed and that that uh turned 18 so now they're getting their voices heard for the first time. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, which I find very interesting right now: the um, local race between Cindy Hyde Smith and uh, Mike Espy. Because I think I I think that one is very interesting because because from the looks of it, Cindy Hyde Smith isn't getting the same support like that she had four years ago. And it's, and I just think, uh, I was telling my father, I think it's just due to the fact that four years ago, even though it was 2016, you could get away with saying certain things that you can't get away with saying in 2020. You know what I'm saying? And her, and her even that, that public hanging statement has stuck with her for a while to where, like, people that were probably donating to her um, election, to, to her election party, uh, wasn't to our election campaign. They probably didn't donate this time due to the fact that I, I feel like since George Floyd um, passed, a lot of things became like not okay overnight. Like it was, it's weird. It was just like he was a sacrificial lamb that made things not okay anymore that should have never been okay. So how do you how do you feel about the the Cindy High Smith and and SB, um race? So it's very interesting. Um, for one, I'm I'm very proud of Mike Espy and the work that he has done this this past year. Um, when he decided to announce that he's um was gonna rerun again, and so I was I really wanted to get on that campaign. I actually had an interview, but when life hit, COVID nineteen hit, it kind of put a stomp on everything, and so and then my life transitioned. But I still, you know, Mike has been a very good friend of mine. And so, like, I definitely support him outside of, you know, politics. And let me be clear, like, when 2016 happened, um, was that 2016? Hold on, that was two years ago, right? This was, this is 2020? Well, yeah. Well, yeah, it's 2020. Right. Mm-hmm. So, he ran, no, they ran in 2018, I think. 2018, okay. Yeah, it was 2018, let me be clear. So, Senate races are every two years. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, so... When he ran and when they ran against each other, Sidney High Smith only got 53.9% of the vote. Mike received 46.1%. That lets you know that Mississippi has a chance of turning blue. That lets you know that people were really paying attention to the Senate race and people were listening to what was going on. But what happened was, in my opinion, I felt like the other percentage were just a, a few 
counties that he probably didn't get a chance to reach because Mike didn't decide to run the last time until like later in the game than Sydney High, you know, running mm-hmm. in to run Sydney High Smith. This year, like I have seen and I've witnessed from social media, from watching him, he has truly ran a progressive and what's another one I'm looking for? Like he's really been proactive a whole Correct. lot. Mm-hmm. Very proactive, and so like I'm really admiring his work. Um, the people on his team, I'm very good friends with them, and so like I feel like they have really put in a lot of work. He's his message is strong and very um, it, it it engages a lot of people, whether you young, whether you old. Like he he really has turned this turned a turned a whole three sixty you know three sixty when it came to running this campaign this year, and so for Sydney High Smith, I feel like. You know, some people you will learn in politics become puppets. Yeah. And she's one of those puppets for the Republican Party. You know, she's a yes person. And that yes person means I'm just going to do whatever whatever they say. They don't. She don't have a mind of her own. Um, you can't really get no real policy out of her. She won't attend no, um, no speech. You know, she won't debate against Mike. Is a lot of things she won't do and that she's not doing. She's even um, been categorized as one of the worst U.S. Senate. I think the worst. <laughs> the worst U.S. Senate. And so it's beyond just Mississippi. Like, if you can't go to D.C. and be my voice and advocate for Mississippi as a whole, like, we don't need you. And I think because of Mike's experience, previous experience of Congress, his work um, that he has done with the Clinton under the Clinton administration years ago, um, bringing a lot of, you know, legal advice to a lot of people from the in the community. Like he has that experience to know what to do when you go to D.C. and be a, be a U.S. Senate. And so that was why that is one reason why I support him because he has a chance to change Mississippi. Like his race can reshape the the parties of Mississippi, like it can. And I think that's what we need to really pay attention to. Like, where do we want, where do Mississippi want to stand at this moment? Yeah, it it really, it really could reshape Mississippi. And especially like, you know, I read about Mike Espy and his ideas um, and, and, and his theories on healthcare in Mississippi with, with, especially with me being a healthcare provider, um, you know, him supporting Obamacare, Medicaid expansion. I think that's very important, especially in the areas that I work in. I work in really rural areas, really, um, really um, poor areas, a lot of them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember um, Jordan Red's brother, Jay, Jay Red's brother, Rod Red, he, he, he put out a documentary called Mississippi Left Us Out. And, and it was in the document, the, the, the documentary was basically, um, long story short, about um, about um, the governor Phil Bryant not not um, the governor Phil Bryant not signing the Medicaid expansion. So that's what basically, you know, the the movie the documentary was about, and and you know it kind of educated me and everybody else that was in attendance of that movie. To to basically show how politics was was basically taking away hundreds, if not thousands, of jobs, taking away millions of dollars, and taking away the healthcare the the healthcare providers, and also taking away great healthcare in the state of Mississippi. 
So I felt like it's very important that especially like millennials try to vote for Mike Eskley, especially in support of Obamacare, which which would mean that you still own your parents' insurance when you fresh out of college. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. when it when it's very important when you trying to figure it out. And and um and I think, you know, he's been diligent. Like he's he's been one that's that's still trying trying to trying to open the envelope, you know what I'm saying? Trying to change the game. And in in a state that's not as progressive, you know, I feel like he's he's starting to open some eyes. So I'm really looking forward to how that turns out. Um, I, I really hope he is victorious. Um, so, and that you know, um, and that's why I say is everything is a local issue because although Obamacare is a federal mandate policy, you know, that people can adopt. Well, mm-hmm. if you don't have the right governor, if you don't have the right leadership. Guess what? Regardless of what happens at the top, you still got to work with what's going on down in local government, state and local government. And so, like, Obamacare exists. It just don't exist in Mississippi because of the leadership that we have. And so that's why I always stress to people a whole lot about um, being um, engaged in municipal government, ensuring that you are electing the right elected officials because – these are the people who go to D.C., or and these are the people who you expect to go to D.C., I'm going to say that, to truly bring what they're doing up top, bringing it down to our people. And that's not ha, that has not been happening for so long. And so when COVID-19 hit and we saw the numbers in Mississippi were uh, the, the number of black people with the, you know, with health disparities and how they were um, dying, like, just think about how many lives could have been saved, you know, if Obamacare existed, you know, in Mississippi. And I'm not saying that Obama, because it would have helped them with their pre-existing conditions before they even got to COVID. You see what I'm saying? Like, well, well, and also, and also, if they signed the Medicaid expansion, you had five rural hospitals that closed with hundreds of beds in each. So. Mm-hmm. So if if you sign a Medicaid expansion, then you would fully have Obamacare in Mississippi. Therefore, you know, um, people that got sick from COVID would have had a bed rather than t- being told go home to to die alone. You know, so so yeah, definitely. You know, definitely it's it's a it's a complete trickle down effect that I think a lot of people don't understand. You know. And even, you know, I was reading about how Mike SB wanted to negotiate um, prescription drug prices, which I work home health. I deal with people that can't afford medications on a daily basis. You know, you know, they they have these programs, but but, you know, some some people don't some people don't actually um, don't actually get approved by these programs to afford these prescription, these prescription drugs. If I can't if I can't take take these drugs. I can't extend my life, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So so I just think, you know, that's a like I feel like in this particular state, that's even bigger than that's almost bigger than the presidential race. It is. That, yeah, yeah, it's big. It's big. It's big. It's just like, you know, it's it's a big deal. You got you got one person that ain't offering nothing. And then you got one person that's like, "I right, this could be the land of milk and honey." So like so, if- if my I did and I this may sound really like you know some people may not accept what I'm about to say but if Mike don't win 
Mississippi don't win. And oh, yeah, for sure. Why is because we need, for one, we need more representation on both sides, Democrat, on the Democratic ticket. And we need another another sense of re- representation to somebody who looks like us. Because we don't have nobody on the Hill that looks like us other than Congressman Benny Thompson. And it's one of those things, it's like, you know, we can't keep expecting him to do all the work, you know? We have yeah. we have to do the work we need to do on the ground so that we can ensure that we have more representation up there with us. That's mm-hmm. willing to fight for us. So yeah, Mike Mike definitely needs to win. So if y'all are listening or when y'all <laughs> definitely go vote for Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, please do. <laughs> All right. So uh that leads me to my next question. Um, how important is voting to you? Because I feel like like it, like I remember, you know, like say, say if I say if you was meeting this guy, right, <laughs> and and you on the first date, and this nigga say, you know, it's election time, so if you was on the first date, it'll it'll have to come up, it it's gonna come up. So if you ask him, he say, or if he say, uh, I don't vote. Well, wait, are you getting up from the table? Or are you or are you gonna try to? I feel like you gonna try to, you gonna try to give him a speech. <laughs> I know you you gonna give him a speech and then <laughs> if he ain't accepting that speech, <laughs> you gonna you gonna get up from the table. So yeah, like and you know what? My dating world revol- and I hate to even say this, but it's the truth, like I'm very particular now about who I date and who I attach myself to because of my work. Because it's so important to me and it's so much bad and it means so much to me because I have been in a relationship where it's like, why are you doing so much? Or why are you doing this? And you're doing too much. And they didn't, and that person didn't respect it and they didn't value it. And so I had to walk away because I feel like I'm in my purpose and I feel like I'm doing what God has called me to do. So to answer your question, I do believe that there is a way that I can go into a conversation with him and talk to him about why voting is important to me. And for one, I always say it's, it's, it's my ancestors that paved the way. You know, people, people who died, who who were killed, who were murdered, who was lynched, you know. And knowing how powerful voting is, I don't think people realize if it wasn't so powerful, why does voter suppression exist? Exactly. <laughs> people, that's what people have to realize. If it wasn't as powerful as they say it was, why do you think they wanted us to figure out how many jelly beans was in a jar before we could become registered voters. Why do you think they would, you know, make us take all these standardized tests and try to trick our minds and all this type of thing? Because they knew that if we had a voice at the ballot box, we could reshape everything and change it, everything. And black voters, and it's the thing, especially black voters, because they knew how strong we were in numbers. And so, when I think of voting, I think of issues. I think of what policies are at stake right now and what person do I feel like need to be at that table to make sure that issue is changed or somebody I know I can build a relationship with as an elected official, which is why I can't wait to go into, you know, the uh, ice cube situation because people are not understanding what your power, what you as a citizen have the power to do. And so, I just feel like voting is voting is really like it's my life. Like it it determines where my life 
what happens in the next two years or what happens in the next four years because Mississippi have elections every year. That's what a lot of people don't know. We don't just have elections every four years, people. We have elections every year. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how um, our, our shape elections, I mean, our state elections are. And so, like, I just feel like voting is, is very important. And it's something that I will do. I teach my nieces now early. They're they younger than me, but I, I'm very radical to them, and I'm letting them know what's going on and what's happening. Sometimes I feel like, you know, they're more radical than I am, but I love it. I enjoy that they have a voice, and that's the part that we miss. Like, your vote is your voice. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely real. Um, that's funny that you said you feel like your nieces are more radical, because I feel like, that generation, I remember listening to um, Kendrick Lamar to Pimple Butterfly and Tupac is on at the end. And he said that, um, you know, he don't, you, you're not going to see too many loud mouth 30 year olds. He said by that age, they done took the heart of a, out of a black man in this country. Mm. And I, and I was like, and, and I thought about that. And if you look at like, even when it comes to police brutality and you look at the people that's on the front lines, you know, at an earlier age, we probably would have been out there doing whatever, you know what I'm saying? But now, you know, we got jobs and, you know, we realize that, you know, we protest in different ways these days. But the younger generation, they hadn't got to that age yet. So they so they going to fight fire with fire, which I respect. I respect both ways, you know, however, mm-hmm. however way you decide. Um, I feel like everybody, you know, that's another thing I want to address. Everybody has a role to play. Everybody's not going to be on the front line, and everybody's not going to repost a certain, say certain things on social media. Everybody can't do that because you're right. Some people do have lives at home that depend on them. <clears throat> I think I'm 30. I have no kids. I don't, I don't have no, you know, I'm not married or anything like that. So for me, when I got ready to choose my next job, my next job, I was very intentional about where I wanted to be because I know the work that I do. Because outside of my political hat, I know I'm an activist and an advocate. So if I see some shit that's going down, I'm going to be there. And I want to be there. And I don't want it to interfere with my work. And so that's very important to me. Um, And that's one. It's funny because when I interviewed for this position, my boss, it was the day of the protest in D.C. um, that Al Sharpton had organized. And she asked, Uh where you about to go? After my interview, I was like, well, I'm going to go protest. She said, well, be careful, don't get COVID-19. And in my mind, I was like, okay, this is it. This is Yeah, life. yeah, 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 because most won't tell you that. Yeah. That this is, this, but this is who I am. And when I interviewed, I remember telling them, like, whether you hire me or not, like, I'm going to do this work. It may, and I don't know which way I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. And so that's why it's very important to me and letting people know, like, everybody has a part to play. And whatever part you play, own it. And don't be afraid to play that part. But we can't always expect everybody to be a Malcolm and an MLK. Like, that that does not happen. Real talk. Real talk. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely right. Roles got to be played. <laughs> every champion, every championship team got, got your stars and you got your role players. You know right. what I'm saying? And and that's, that's, that's just how it should go. Um, so, so, I've been reading a lot of tweets and um, social media, Facebook, whatever. Mm-hmm. Instagram. I see a lot of black millennials. They they all black black millennials, you know, we always asking why should we vote? Like aren't aren't we just voting for a lesser evil evil and 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 uh if we are voting for a lesser evil, 
Like, why do we think Joe Biden could change anything? So, so talk to me a little bit about that. Cause I, cause you know, essentially I do think Joe Biden is a lesser evil. And Alex, and, and Alex, and, and the reason why I'm saying that, because, you know, you know, you know, I'm, I'm cool with Joe in the regard that he cool with Barack. Real talk. <laughs> That's why. That's why we cool barbecue. with Joe. Yeah. Hey, I don't know if he invited to the barbecue. Oh, okay. he, he he ain't invited. He he could he could you know drop some beer off and and say all right I'm headed to work you know what I'm saying but he ain't invited to the barbecue you know but I'm cool with Joe because he cool with Barack but the reason why I'm really cool with Joe and because because he's on the side of science right now and that's important the COVID-19 pandemic is the most important thing to me in this whole election so and and that's just me personally you know some people could say um the most important thing to them would be the economy or um or whatever uh, immigration or whatever you know what I'm saying the most important thing to me is COVID-19 we got to get out of the situation so why and should I- black millennials vote why, why should black millennials vote like like why why should we vote for either of these people? You know, for one, I think a lot of right now a lot of people are looking for a sense of unity. We seeing the we're we are seeing America being divided worse now than it ever. Like we've always been divided, but this is a different type of division. Like yeah. when your leadership supports the division, is is and supports racism, supports the systemic racism, like it. It's disheartening for people who will, who want America to change, who want America to change. You know, I tell you all the time, Biden was was not at the top of my ticket either. You know, but unfortunately, the American people by voting decided, hey, we want two white men. And these are the, we wanted two people, and we chose two white men. So this is what we this is who we chose. But what I respect about Biden is that he owned up to legislation that he passed that he felt like he should not have passed. However. Well, people failed to realize he was not the only person on the bill, you know, and that was... Are you referencing the crime bill? The crime bill. Okay. So he wasn't... People have to understand when one person introduced something, you have to have other people to sign the legislation in order for it to pass. So if you want to get mad at Joe, you need to go find the crime bill and get mad at every other representative who supported that bill, too, and make sure you still stay mad. You know, if you want to... If you we want to take it to that level. Um... But I admire his ownership in saying that, hey, we didn't think this through. I didn't think this through. And you're not going to find a perfect politician because we're not perfect. You know, they're not perfect people. And that's true. But what I think, when I look at Joe Biden, I look at he. I don't just look at Joe Biden. I look at the team and people around him. Mm-hmm. And that's why I am voting for Joe. Because when I see people who are running his campaign who are young black millennials, mm-hmm. what people don't know, and um, like people like Trey Baker and, you know, who's from Mississippi and people who have brought Joe to Mississippi to meet other Mississippians who look just like <coughs> like them, I feel like we miss those marks. We miss the people who his cabinet, who his cabinet could possibly be, you know? And so, and it's like he had, Joe has a way of now bringing young people in spaces and having conversations. And I haven't saw Trump even try to figure to to want to dismantle COVID nineteen, and that's important. Like what you just said, 
COVID-19, because of COVID, economic matters, you know, the economy matters. Because of COVID, healthcare matters. Because of COVID, you know, everything that you, you know, other issues fall under Under COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah, under COVID. Because right, exactly. COVID still exists. All this other stuff continues to be continue to like really start to fail, right. and because you know millions of Americans still don't have jobs because of COVID. Right. You know, fan, children are suffering right now. Teachers are suffering right now because of COVID. You know, my my close friend said something to me. She said, "Imagine a child having to learn how to read virtually." Yeah. You know, like. And she has three children at home that she has to tend to, who are mm. all like a one-year-old, a two-year-old, and a five-year-old. Oh wow! So like I can't even imagine, and I, you know I can't, and and that's where mental health now comes into place, because I can't even escape for thirty to forty minutes a day to have some time to myself, because now I have three little ones at home who are depending on me hand and foot for everything, and I'm not saying that you know not having having your kids or something wrong, but it's like where that child was used to be at school around this time, parents use that time for like stay at home moms and stuff like that to tend to, you know, housing things and being able to take care of their family. But it's like everything now is in chaos. And so a lot of people are really having a lot of mental breakdowns, um, that that are happening. And I don't think people realizing it either. So it's like COVID nineteen really has a has a toll on America right now. And I feel like that if we had have known when Trump had known that we would not be in this pandemic, but he never cared. He never cared to tell the American people. And he blatantly said this on national television. Like, mm-hmm. he does that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> see, see, you know, it's it's several things that I want to point out that you said, um, The uh, especially about the crime bill, the 1994 crime bill. I think uh, it... The people that signed that bill, you know, it didn't age well. That's the thing about bills. Sometimes you sign stuff, it don't age well. At the time, at the time, you would have to be the people that do all the rah run about the 1994 crime bill are people that are your, me and your age. That was probably five and six. That read four, four and five, three and four. That that read this shit on social media. And was like, this nigga did what? Bro, first off, 1994 and the late 80s and the mid-80s look completely different from 2020. Exactly. <laughs> like, 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 people, niggas was outside doing crack on the street. Like, like. Exactly. <laughs> like something was, had to be done. <laughs> that was during the war on drugs era. And I think a lot of people missed that miss that part like you have to think about what era we was in during those times and don't get me wrong like you know the crime bill existed but it took the system to target black people that's the thing like this they didn't have to target black people some right. some of them, the system target black people joe didn't target black people the representatives didn't target they just put the crime bill in place Right, and I think that people miss those, like, but you know, I can't say people miss it. Is that those were people who are uneducated and uninformed about how you know the political systems and stuff work, and so you can't really get mad at ignorance. You just have to try to inform them and get them to think like what was like what you just said. We wasn't even we was outside yeah. playing, going to school. We wasn't thinking probably weren't probably weren't even playing yet. 
I mean, he was mad at Kamala Harris, you know, talking about what she did as a as a um, attorney, you know, when she was, mm-hmm. was it, I can't remember. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think she was like a prosecutor or something like that. Black. Yeah. Who said that she just talked? Who said that she put me hundreds of black men in jail? Like, I mean, I can't sit there and say like that. I, I wasn't in California. I can't. Mm-hmm. I didn't live there, so I don't know what was happening in California. It's like. People don't know what happens in Mississippi until Mississippians explain what really happened. But I have not heard. I ha- I mean, I may have missed it. I haven't re- really went and researched. So I don't want to speak on something I haven't really researched. But mm-hmm. I will, if a man who said, you know, I want to hear, like, what was more concrete? Like, can you give more concrete evidence besides a woman doing her job? Yeah, yeah. See, see the thing the thing about these bills is that they they have a year on the front of them for a reason mm-hmm. you you need you need to research the year and understand the 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 current times in that year and understand what was actually going on to understand why somebody would sign a bill because because if you look on this bill and and you signed it it may, and, and it comes to 2020 it makes it look like like damn these niggas really don't fuck with black people now they might not fuck with black people, but <laughs> <laughs> but it's a reason. It, it's a political reason and a reason why they signed that 1994 crime bill. You ask anybody, you you ask anybody that's not a millennial, that that's that's an older age, and you ask them why they signed the crime bill because the only people that complain about it essentially are millennials. And, and I mean, of course, it ended up being bad for us. You know what I'm saying? More black people got arrested and imprisoned, uh, and and used for free labor to than than any other time ever. You know what I'm saying? I was reading a stat. I think I was reading uh, I was reading uh, Angela Davis a book a book by Angela Davis, and it basically and she basically was saying that um, I think it was a real stat that the U.S. had more people in prison. Than, than 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 like not not even just any other country but like a like a bunch of countries combined like and and I wish I could really quote that but but that's crazy man so um so let me transition what like what what would you what would you uh I'm going to go back to voting for a little bit what would you say to somebody who who ha- who doesn't have their mind made up in like a swing state cuz I remember I lived in Hampton Virginia um, for a year, and and this was Obama's second election, and and I and you know people are waiting in lines now, but I waited like three hours to vote, and I voted the day of. I don't even early voting wasn't even emphasized that much back then. I don't think. But, but go ahead. To uh, to answer that question, well, this is swing state or not. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should really pay attention to what's happening around you and what's right there in front of you. Because people sit there and say, well, release, you know, I've seen some statuses that say, you know, I know I know what I have with Trump. I know, you know, they'll say something like, I know I know what I have or whatever with Trump. I'd rather just go ahead. And it's like, do you really want us to continue this, like where we are right now, economically, as a country, um, the racism that's 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 existing now, right? You know, we we never was blind to it, but how it's being supported? Do we really want to continue to live in a lot of chaos? And 
or do we want somebody who can try to come in and try and I'm not gonna say he's I'm not saying Biden is our savior. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is you got to figure out what's important to you as a person who's living in America, especially as a black person. Because to be honest, we determine elections. Mm-hmm. Black mm-hmm. people determine which way we're going. Yeah, so. that's that's real. That's real. Yeah I, yeah, I definitely feel you. I mean, and to be honest, like when I voted for Barack, in Virginia, and it was a swing state, and he won Virginia in in on that second wave, that second election. You know, I felt like I felt triumphant, honestly, because it was just like, dang, I waited like three hours, and Virginia is like a real swing state that he needed to win. You know, and so you know, I I felt I felt really good about it because you know, uh, voting for a president election in Mississippi, you know, your vote ain't finna count. Like <laughs> you really just checking the box for for your own personal. You you can get up in there and vote for Trump, and it it won't affect nothing. <laughs> you know, I voted um when I voted for my freshman year of college. The first time I was able to vote, yeah, I'm going to feel good to tell my children, my grandchildren, like, hey, your mama voted for a black man the first time she was able to vote. Yeah. And so that means a lot to me as a person, as a millennial, being able to vote for the first time at 18 years old. And I remember standing in line on Jackson State campus and the student center was full of students. I mean, we stood in line for hours and we were okay. Yeah, and we were chilling. We were tripping We out. was enjoying it because <laughs> yeah. we knew what we were, what we were going to bring to America was momentum. And for us to be able to experience that compared to some of my friends and former classmates who was going to Ole Miss and Mississippi State, they didn't have that same feeling. But for me, I had I felt great. I felt awesome. So it's like also it determines the kind of like what we're talking about. What kind of feeling do you want to have knowing mm-hmm. that you are reshaping your and saving your democracy? Yeah, that's that's definitely real. Yeah. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing like when Barack <laughs> won at 08 on Jackson State campus. That <laughs> shit that shit was crazy. That shit that I shit was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that shit was crazy. That Jeezy, my president is black, played a hundred times. Yeah, it it played a hundred times. All right, so so let's get to this last question because I think it's a hot topic. And if you haven't been paying attention, um, today, um, Lil Wayne posted a picture with uh with Donald Trump. And uh, talking about uh, the platinum plan, the infamous platinum plan that that he just came up with in the past, seemed like the past 15, 20 days. Uh, but I want to ask you about how you feel about Ice Cube and the contract with Black America. Because honestly, honestly, I feel like Ice Cube has been getting a real bad rap for that. But I can... I, I, I totally know that the majority of people that's talking shit about Ice Cube have not even read one page of the contract with Black America because niggas don't read, and it's twenty two, and it's twenty two pages long. And I said, and I looked at, I said, ain't no way niggas read twenty two pages. But if you look at the contract with Black America, it's hella pro Black. You know, it's hella pro Black. It's like got a lot of shit in there that would be pivotal for Black people. Now his whole thing is said he he said that. Um, you know, he talked with Trump uh, advisors, and he tried to talk to um, 
to um, Biden's uh, people, but they say they're going to wait till after the election. That's that's what he said. Then he comes out and says that, well, he was invited on a phone call with uh, Kamala Harris and uh, some other celebrities. He said it was about 10 celebrities. And he said he didn't take the call because he felt like it wouldn't have did no good because he would be on there just talking to celebrities and not actually talking to people that have the actual um, power to to put his plan or what he see his plan going to implement it. So how do you feel about Ice Cube? Because I feel like niggas is trying to call him Uncle Tom, but <laughs> but it's weird, you know. We as black, you know, we as black culture need to stop with the whole because a person don't go, yo, you don't see things their way or what they're doing or what they're trying to do. We automatically, we want to dismiss them. We want to not be, we want to always discredit what they're trying to do. And what I tell people all the time, if you made an ice cube, you don't understand politics. Yeah. If you made an ice cube, then you ain't really, you don't want real change because it's like a bold joker real talk to create a 22 page plan because what you what you fail and realize those are policies he wrote those are agendas that he policy agendas that he feel like that is that could be fixed in black culture and in black communities and get what people don't know is okay i because of the work we do like I'm, I'm in government affairs and i'm and this is leading up to the question I have to work with both sides, right. both mm-hmm. parties. I have to go to the Republicans and ask them a question and see, will they sign on this bill? And will they, you know, advocate for early childhood education or voting rights or criminal justice reform? I also have to take that same agenda that I gave to the Republicans to the Democratic Party and people or members of the Democratic Party. And I have to, and I have to propose that same thing. <laughs> Ice Cube was basically lobbying his agenda because that's what that was. And he was advocating for the agenda that he wanted to be proposed to the White House that he hoping they can, like, you don't understand, people don't understand the power that they have. Anybody can write legislation. It don't just got to be an attorney. It don't just have to be an elected official. You as an American citizen, if you decide to say, hey, I want to do X, Y, and Z. You can go do it because you, those are your tax dollars. You pay for their salaries. Now, whether they adopt it or not, that's on them. But the fact that you have the courage and the dignity to propose something that you feel like will, will better your community, then I give you a round of applause, like for real. Because to be honest, we need more people like Ice Cube to do the work. Because it's not many of us, especially young black people, who are in politics, who are really trying and pushing, trying to push the needle. It's hard doing it by ourselves. So what I will appreciate, I will appreciate about him is turning it down when he knew other celebrities was going to be on the call. And the reason why I say that is because you have a lot of celebrities who just jump on bandwagons who don't really take this work serious. It's just to, it's just to expand their platform as a celebrity. But when, it, but when, when elections are over, where are you? You know, that's the question I always ask people. Are you back, are you partnering with these nonprofits and figuring out this data, or are you coming to our roundtables to have a session? Are you putting real money into real community organizers, or are you still trying to, you know, promote your agenda, your celebrity status? And that's the part that I get tired of. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, I'm, I'm glad that you said that, because you 
exactly right. I feel like the people that I feel like it's a big difference between an Ice Cube and a Lil Wayne. Yes, <laughs> it's a it's a big difference, and I'm not just saying that to slight Lil Wayne, but I'm saying that to say this this guy he he formed a committee and formed a contract for Black America. If you open the contract, but but you know just like my grandma say. You put money in the Bible, you put money in a the book, these niggas ain't going to read it. They ain't going <laughs> to never find the money. You know what I'm saying? They ain't read the contract for Black America. All they heard was a sound bat bite that said, he wants to that see said, he, yeah, and then he, ain't, he said, I ain't never met Donald Trump. He said, I talked to his people. He said, he said, but I also extended my offer to talk to Biden's people, but they said, wait till after election. He said, cool. He said he didn't want to meet with, he didn't want to be on a phone call with celebrities and Kamala Harris because these people ain't going to get what I need done. Kamala could help get it done after she gets mm-hmm. elected. But other than that, these people can't help it get done. So he tried to go to the source, which is what you're supposed to do. Like, it, it, it's called diplomacy for a reason. You know, it, my boss is sit, sitting at the table across from their enemy. And, and call treaties because that's just how business and, and democracy works. Like, that's just how it works. You got to pair with the I, other side. I mean, for re- to be honest, like, you know, Donald Trump ain't my biggest fan either. But at the end of the day, being in politics, we can't choose who we work with. That's one thing that people fail to realize. I can't get – because I belong to a certain political party, I cannot work with my other colleague who belongs to the other because guess what? Now I'm holding my community back. It's not about, it's not, it's no longer about you in politics. It's about the people. And if you don't care and love the people, then there you pick the wrong field. And I also feel like, you know, I tell people all the time, like, you know, you have to under, you have to truly dive in to see what's going on. Media has a way of making you think one thing when it really was not said. You see how Trump's son tried to tweet something with a Trump hat on that they had on a Trump hat. Photoshop wasn't even accurate, wasn't even real. And Ice Cube let it be known. Ice Cube has never so you know, has never been one of those people to hold back or bite his tongue about nothing. Whatever nah. he said, it was true. Yeah. Yeah. Like his mama was an educator. Ice Cube was an educated rapper and black man. His mom was a teacher. He grew up under, you know, an educated family. But you mm-hmm. not think this man was educated enough to put something together to say, hey, this is what I'm proposing. Like, come on, black culture. We have to do better. We have to quit letting media control our way of thinking in certain ways and questioning yourself. Like Lil Wayne, no offense to him, but honestly, Lil Wayne, he supports kind of police brutality. So I don't really want to – I. I he he's a lost cause. Me talking about Lil I'm not even about to waste my breath on somebody like this. Right. He don't even understand what's really going on in the world because he feels like he's so far removed. But guess what? Those who feel like they're so far removed, America has a way of showing you you're still a nigga. Yeah, exactly. Finding you that. So don't forget. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you know, I I hate it for they fan. Well, I hate it for Wayne fans. Hey, I I always been a Q fan. You know, no question. But <laughs> but um, but you know, I really appreciate having you on this podcast today. This was really good. I appreciate your points and your insight. And um, and I want to really thank you for being on. I I really appreciate you spending your time today. You did a great job. Uh, shout out to Shalonda Spencer um, and keep listening to Verbal Intercourse 
Check this out. It's going to be amazing. Out.